Sometimes we struggle because we keep losing battles that our heart knows we're supposed to win. Or even worse, we don't even try. And when we know we were supposed to take up a challenge and we're too afraid to try, it leaves us feeling guilty and ashamed. Well, friend, you don't have to feel that way anymore. Because today, we're going to learn how to win those battles in life. We're going to look at an old story about a big battle. And we're going to learn how to consistently post some wins. And it's going to be helpful to you. When you start experiencing some victories, you're going to start feeling so much better, so much happier. And you'll be healthier emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Look, we all face battles in life. Relationship issues, bad habits, addictions, financial troubles, job stresses, dreams we struggle to achieve. What are some of the battles that you're fighting? or have fought, or wish you would have fought? Are there some things that you've given up on? Well, it's time to get back in the fight, my friend. We're going to learn how to win those battles. Remember, Proverbs 17, 27 through 28, in the Passion Translation is the kind of the theme verse for this infinitely happier book that I'm writing and working on. And the passage says this, Can you bridle your tongue when your heart is under pressure? That's how you show that you're wise. An understanding heart keeps you cool, calm, and collected no matter what you're facing. And I'm telling you, friend, that's one of the secrets to being infinitely happier. Not not necessarily always bridling your tongue, but can you bridle your brain? Can you bridle your racing thoughts? Can you bridle your anxieties and your fears and your depression or the things that are keeping you on the sidelines of your own life? Can you bridle those things when you're under pressure and let God take you through them? Can you get your brain chemistry right? Can you do the self-brain surgery that you need to get yourself ready to become healthier and feel better and be happier by seizing the day. That's how you know that you're wise. That's how. And we're going to find out, and we're going to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it, and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is, you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. I just had to stop the recording and go outside and scare off a bunch of doves who are on the front porch because we're making so much racket that I was afraid you'd be able to hear them <laughs> on the recording. So uh, we got rid of the... The, we fought the battle of the doves, and we're, we're taking care of that. And now it's time to get into this episode. So the, the idea for this came from a couple of things. One, I see people all over the world right now, including us, struggling with lots of different things that they need to take care of. There's lots of different challenges, different fights that people need to need to get into and accomplish and overcome and some victories that need to be won. Because a lot of us are feeling isolated and alone or scared or uncertain. There's all kinds of stuff going on right now in the world. 
And we need to post some wins. We need to start feeling like we are victorious in our lives again instead of hiding and, you know, huddled down in our houses and being afraid of some unknown threat or some real threat economically or financially or, or with uh, relationships or whatever this uh, time has produced for you. So two books that I read for some reason kind of clashed into one another in my brain and made me think about how we can win battles. How do we get into the fight and overcome the threat and actually post some wins in our lives? And the greatest story about a battle in all of history, probably the one that we're all the most familiar with, is the story of David and Goliath. There are two books that have been written. I'm sure there's more than two books, but two books that I've read um, in the recent past that both entertain the idea of the David and Goliath story. And i just realize that there's some things that you should we should talk about when it comes to David and Goliath. If you're not familiar with the story, or even if you are, let's break it down from 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the Bible. Let me just give you the background of what the story is, so then we can use that story to talk about our own battles, okay? You know, stay with me for a second. So David and Goliath, New International Version, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let me just read you a little bit. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. Sorry if I say the names wrong. There's some hard-to-pronounce names here. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Goth, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. That's nine feet, nine inches. This guy was almost ten feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 pounds, 58 kilograms. So 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. So just the tip of this guy's spear weighed about 15 pounds, 6.9 kilograms. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects." But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Aphrodite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So now there's this, there's the scene. The two armies are lined up, and every day for forty days the giant comes out and taunts the armies of Israel, and nobody challenges him. So day after day after day, this giant comes out and taunts and mocks and shames the armies of Israel. And even the king is too afraid to go out and fight him. But then along comes David, the youngest of eight, far too young to be in the war. And 
the Israelites had been saying, verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw Goliath, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy us. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So the king was so afraid of this guy that he put a great reward out. And David asked the man standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So now break this down for just a second, okay? Just break it down for one second and think about what is happening here. So you see the scene, the the professionals, right? The army, the soldiers, and the king are being taunted by this giant, and they can't see a way to win this fight. They are ashamed. They are afraid. David comes along, this little boy, not a trained soldier, not a professional, and he looks at the problem, and he starts asking questions, and his own family, his brother, mocks him. He says, who are you? You're so conceited. What do you have to do with this? How dare you think you can win this battle? So one of the things I want to point out is that sometimes when we have a fight in front of us that our heart is telling us we need to take up, we can expect some opposition, even from those closest to us. Sometimes you're the only one who can see that this battle has to be fought or that you might be the one to fight it. So don't be surprised if you're finally getting the courage up to take up your weapons and fight this battle, whatever it is in your life that you need to take care of. Don't be surprised if people around you, even those closest to you, tell you that you can't do it. So don't be shocked by that. The second thing you notice here in this story is that Goliath is this massive human being carrying hundreds of pounds of gear. He has a shield bearer, another person in front of him. So there's really two people out there. And he is mocking day after day after day. He is calling out. He is casting uh, aspersions. He is basically making fun of and belittling and taunting the people. So sometimes these problems we have in our lives, they aren't just little things. They're giants. They are seemingly invincible. They are overwhelmingly huge, and we don't think we have a chance against them, and they mock us. They taunt us. They harass us. And in our minds, we, we can't stop thinking about this big problem that's in front of us. Well, there are two books I want to point out to you today. Now, you, you probably know the rest of the story, right? I'm not going to read the whole thing. But the rest of the story is David, this little boy, being even taunted by his own brother, looks at this situation and says, look, 40 days is enough. Somebody's got to do something about this giant. We've got to take this guy out. He's, he's basically blaspheming. He's He's casting aspersion on the people of God, and I'm going to take care of this. And Saul, of course, is happy to have anybody go fight the giant. Saul tries to put his own armor on the little boy David, and it's far too big and bulky and clumsy. David can't handle it, and he's like, look, 
I'm, I can't wear this stuff. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I, don't, I can't fight the way that you think I'm going to fight. So everybody looks at this problem, including Goliath, and everybody thinks we're about to have a battle between two swordsmen, that Israel's going to send out a guy with a sword, and they're going to go up against Goliath with a sword and have it out and see who wins. David looks at it, and he sees a guy in Goliath who brought a knife to a gunfight. David's background is he's a shepherd, and shepherds commonly carried a weapon they called a sling. Now, one of our problems understanding this story from a 21st century American or, or New World perspective is that we don't understand what slings are. And so I want to first share some things with you that I learned from a book called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, which is an amazing book, by the way. It's not about David and Goliath. It's really about how we often perceive the wrong things when we look at big problems. And sometimes the strengths that seem to be there in this big problem actually can be weaknesses to be exploited in helping us overcome these problems. But when David looked at that situation, he's a slinger, which effectively is um, – kind of like a sniper or an artilleryman, if you want to think about it that way. Ancient warfare, really modern warfare too, but in ancient warfare, there were three, sometimes more, but three basic um, types of combat um, personnel. There were infantrymen, like Goliath, guys with swords and spears. There were cavalry, so mounted you know, troops on horses. And then there were the artillery, basically, archers, and slingers, so people who could fire weapons from a long way off. And it sort of balanced each other out like rock, paper, scissors. So, you know, the game, the game rock, paper, scissors, so um, rock can smash scissors, scissors can cut paper, paper can cover rock. They all have strengths and weaknesses, right? So an infantryman could fight other dismounted people and, you know, fight hand-to-hand, they could also fight effectively against cavalry because they had these pikes, these long spears they could just plant in the ground and the horse would run up on it and they could defeat cavalry sometimes uh, with infantry. But then artillery could hit infantrymen from a long way off with arrows or slings or catapults and so they could do great damage from a distance, right? Just like our modern artillery and missiles and things like that can do now. And cavalry, of course, is great against uh, making a fast assault against artillery because they can move so fast that the artillery pieces, the snipers and the slingers, can't get a bead on them and moving target going that fast and closing so quickly. You get into that space where those long-range weapons aren't very effective. And so they all balanced each other out. So the problem here in the Goliath story is that Goliath is challenging everybody to a sword fight, and David is an artilleryman. And David looked at the problem from a different perspective. So David sees this big guy, this nine foot nine guy, and instead of being afraid of him, he doesn't. He, he's not afraid because he has no intention of going hand to hand with this guy because he couldn't win. If you look at a problem and you let the problem determine your response, if you let the problem dictate how you fight, then you often will find yourself in an unfair fight. You you don't have to fight the problem the way the problem tells you to fight it. You get to use your faith and your background and your training and your brain and all the other resources that you have to come and fight this problem from your perspective. So what David did 
was he laughed to himself and he said, I got this nine foot nine guy with hundreds of pounds of armor. He will never be able to get out of the way of my oncoming projectile. Like I said a while ago, we think about the toy slingshots that we grew up, you know, slinging around and playing in our yard. That's not what a sling was. It's a fascinating read in, in Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath. He, t- he does some, uh, he presents some research about what slingers really were. These guys could knock a coin out of the air with a sling. They were so accurate. They could hit a target at 100 yards away. And inside of about 35 meters, they could sling a rock so fast that it would close on the target with the same stopping power as a forty-five caliber handgun. So these are serious weapons. And infantrymen had no chance against slingers, like the, against basically snipers, right? So if if a big, clumsy, bulky infantryman was lumbering towards a slinger and the slinger had a, a good shot at him, that was not even a fair fight. But our problem is we look at that and we think of it from the other perspective. We think David was this little weak boy and he was going into an unfair fight because the giant was so much bigger than him. But that's not the way to look at it. So, and this isn't to diminish the story. This actually makes the story better. We just miss it a lot of times. I grew up thinking that this story was about how with God's power we can overcome you know, overwhelming odds. And that's true. But the real story is with God's power and his help, we can see problems in different ways. And God will always equip us for what he has called us to fight. So here you have a situation where nobody would have been able to beat this guy hand to hand. Israel had nobody that could have fought Goliath hand to hand. But the reality is if he's nine feet, nine inches tall, He's probably got acromegaly. Now, acromegaly is a disease of the pituitary gland where you secrete too much growth hormone. If you think about uh, people like Andre the Giant, the wrestler, who was huge and very strong, but he also had acromegaly. And acromegaly gives you great size, but it also gives you some great handicaps, one of which is acromegalics often have pressure on their optic nerves, and so they have really bad peripheral vision. And this may be why two things in the story happened that are unusual. If an infantryman was going to go out and fight hand-to-hand, he wouldn't usually ask a shield-bearer to go out with him because he would have his own shield and his own sword, and he would fight somebody similarly equipped. But Goliath has a shield-bearer with him. That's probably because he needed the shield-bearer to look out for him peripherally because he probably had bad peripheral vision being an acromegalic. Now, again, this is not... In the story, but just looking at this from a physiological perspective, Goliath almost certainly had to have acromegaly. So he would have been lethal in close quarters because he was massive, he had huge size and great strength. But he also was probably clumsy and not very agile and not very fast. So against a distance, he wouldn't have been able to run very quickly to close the gap, and he certainly wouldn't have had good vision and good reaction times to fight a slinger like David. So David didn't look at it from the perspective that everybody else did of this, how am I going to fight this giant who's invincible and so strong and how I'll never be able to do this and there's no chance, I've got no chance, he's going to beat me, he's going to kill me, I might as well not even try to fight, right? David didn't look at it that way. David looked up and saw this big, clumsy, bumbling moron who thought he could fight a slinger. That's how David saw it. And so David picked up his weapon and took care of the problem with one shot. And again, it's not some little boy with a slingshot. 
This is a guy, a kid, yes, but somebody who had spent time in the wilderness and had to fight off lions and bears with those rocks. He knew what the sling could do. He knew exactly what God had equipped him and prepared him for. He knew exactly how to apply the skills and the training that he had acquired in a different context to the current situation. And that, my friend, is how you win your biggest battle. When you've got a battle to fight... You don't let the problem dictate your response to it. You let the problem define the nature of the conflict, and then you respond to it based on your training and your education and your brain and your heart and what God tells you and prayer and research and anything else that you can bring to the fight. You bring it and you attack the problem on the ground and the time of your choosing. I'm kind of a military buff, and there's a a great um, movie called Gettysburg that was based on based on a historical novel by Michael Chirac called The Killer Angels. It won a Pulitzer Prize for fiction in 1975. Now, Chirac's book basically um, made a novel out of all the research that he had done into the Gettysburg conflict and all the characters, uh, you know, Longstreet and Meade and um, Pickett and all those guys. And basically, the story is that Longstreet, who was one of uh, General Lee's advisors, looked at the situation that they were about to get into at Gettysburg, and he realized that their best chance to win would have been to retreat and go around and get themselves in between Gettysburg and D.C., and that would have forced General Meade and the Union Army to divert away from Gettysburg and fight on ground of the of the Confederacy's choosing. But Lee didn't see it that way. General Lee thought, man, the opportunity's at hand, the enemy's right in front of me, I need to fight them right here. And Longstreet told him, we're going to fail. Like, you're going to send Pickett and those guys across this field, and they are going to get slaughtered, and we're going to lose, because you're not fighting on the right ground. And you're not fighting at the right time, and you're not fighting in the right place, and you're not using strength um, to make this situation winnable. Lee couldn't see it, and they charged ahead, and of course, I mean, thankfully for the United States, um, Lee didn't do the right thing there militarily, and the U.S. Uh, Union troops won that battle, and that really was the turning point of the Civil War that led to the United States overcoming the Confederacy and all those good things that occurred out of that. But the point here is that they had a victory in hand if they had chosen to fight on ground of their choosing at the right time. Now, sometimes to win your battle, friend, you need to back off from what seems inevitable. Sometimes you get forced into this situation where you think you have to fight right now in the way that the enemy or the problem is making you fight in the location and time and way in which they're making you fight. And sometimes if you do that, you're going to find yourself going hand-to-hand against Goliath. And they're stronger than you, and they're bigger than you, and they're better equipped than you are. And they got better training at that type of fighting than you do. And if you do that, you're going to fail. So you need to take a page from what Longstreet was trying to do and understand that sometimes a tactical retreat and repositioning is how you're going to win. So sometimes you need to back off from that fight and you need to reconsider and you need to think through it. Marriage conflict is a good answer here, a good, a good um, analogy here. Sometimes people get into situations in their marriage when they're in conflict and they're in struggle and they're fighting and it seems hopeless and they don't know what to do. And instead of backing off and seeking help and getting counseling or 
you know, taking a break or letting things cool down, they press on through the fight and they say the wrong things or they get so wrapped up emotionally with each other in the, in the anger and the heat of the moment that they do more damage and they end up breaking both of their hearts and they break the relationship further or they just can't muster the courage to do the hard thing and say, I'm sorry, or say, let's go to counseling or actually try to break down those barriers and they just, they just fail because they don't take the fight in the proper way. So the way to save that marriage sometimes is to say, hang on, let's time out, let's stop the, the harsh words, let's back off, let's go get some professional help, let's fight to save our marriage instead of fighting with each other about our marriage. So you understand what I'm saying is looking at a problem from a different way, looking at the, the situation instead of saying, I've got to go get a sword and some armor and go fight this nine foot nine inch tall guy and I'm five eight, right? Five nine. I can't, I can't win that fight. But you're not forced to fight on the ground of the enemy's choosing. If Lee had listened to Longstreet, the Civil War might have had a different outcome. I'm, I'm grateful that it didn't. But he might have won that war if he had listened to his advisors and fought in a different way. So fight on the ground of your choosing. Fight according to the strengths that God has given you. And that, my friend is how you will win more of your battles. Your biggest battles can be won if you bring your training and experience and you look at the problem like David did and don't see an insurmountable object, insurmountable opponent. See it as this giant is actually not all he's cracked up to be. The other book that I told you about, that I told you there were two books. One was David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. The other one is called Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio. And in that book, he talks about this problem where the enemy is taunting over and over and over and over. And you finally come to a place in your heart where you say, I can't live with this anymore. This giant has got to fall or I'm going to fall. You come to a point where you know it's time you've got to fight that addiction. You've got to end that financial crisis you've got to fix this marital problem you've got to get out of this abusive situation where you one more day is unacceptable you cannot go any longer goliath must fall and so what i want to leave you with today my friend is i want you to start looking at these battles and stop shirking from them or stop fighting them in the wrong way i want you to stop losing to these giants in your life because the the one thing to take away from the david and goliath story and from Louis Giglio's book, is that sometimes the giants are not as insurmountable as they might seem. The problem is not as bad as you think it is. It's just about how you look at it. If you look at it as a nine foot nine inch tall guy full of body armor and giant weapons, yeah, it seems pretty insurmountable. But if you look at it as a bumbling, acromegalic guy who, as long as you're not within a few feet of him, has no chance against your sling, then the problem starts to take on a different characteristic, and you start to see it in a different way. This can be true of alcoholism, substance abuse, physical and emotional abuse. It can be true of marital problems. It can be true of financial issues. It can be true of any kind of situation you find yourself in life in if you can just Take some time and look at the problem from multiple angles. Fight strength with strength and don't let the enemy determine the place and the time in which you fight. You have the best chance to win. I'm going to leave you with some scripture because in any fight, you do need some equipment. 
Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 18 gives us the armor and the weaponry that we need to fight whatever battle comes along. Let me read it to you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Ephesians 6, 11 through 18. Put on all of God's armor. Another translation says the full armor of God. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Friend, this is an aside here. This is not the scripture. I'm telling you something parenthetically. This battle that you're fighting, it's not just the bottle. It's not just the marriage. It's not just the situation. It's not just the balance sheet. It is actually the enemy, the devil, trying to take you out. There's a spiritual warfare happening here for your soul and for your spirit and your impact in this world and your happiness and your family and future generations. There is a spiritual warfare happening. So listen, verse 13, he goes on, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Listen, friend, the armor of God is understanding truth, understanding that you're saved, that no matter how this battle turns out, you can't lose as long as you trust in Christ and in God's righteousness. Put on the peace. Wear them like shoes. Wear that peace that comes from the good news so you're ready. And the faith that you have, this hope, this unextinguishable fire of hope is your shield that will hold up against any type of attack. And notice this, all even salvation is your helmet. All of these pieces of armor are defensive, except for one, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God, putting some scripture in your heart and having it ready to use against any kind of attack, that's what I've been telling you for weeks now, that's a vital piece of equipment for you because it's the only offensive weapon you have is that ability to call on scripture and truth when you need truth in the middle of the darkest moments of your life those truths that you put in your heart will come out and they will help you fight the fight friend goliath must fall you must win the battle whatever it is in your life if you know your heart is calling you to fight it you've got to take up the fight but you don't have to tumble into it unprepared with the wrong weapons against an enemy on the ground of his choosing you don't have to fight it that way it's time for you to start getting some w's in your life some wins it's time for you to start getting some victories look friend it's time for you to start getting some victories this is self-brain surgery like like looking at how to fight your fights in life in a different way that's self-brain surgery you're not stuck fighting with a sword against the other guy with a sword who's a lot bigger than you are Change the way you look at it. Change the way you think about it. This is biblical. It's consistent with neuroscience. It's good self-care, and it will help. You have to start fighting the fight in your terms on the ground of your choosing with the right weapons 
and you have to start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day. Psalm 59, 16. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. Lord, you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. But as for me, I will sing about your power as for me. I sing with joy in my heart about your love. You're never ending life. But as for me, I will sing about your power in the morning. I sing with joy in my heart about your love. You're never ending life.
feels the same That your power and love for me Yes, your power and perfect love Is shame